I look at what I've done and say to myself, how could you do the things you've done to the people you say you love? Hello, my name is Erica. You might know me from radio or from making music, but if you don't know me, it's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to my new podcast. It's called, wait, you what? The idea is that each episode we talk to a guest and we ask that exact question. Wait, you what is the podcast that does a double take on people's surprising stories of struggle, self-discovery, lived experience, or all three. And people who have been through something hard usually have some wisdom to share. You're going to walk away from an episode of Wait You What with a new perspective or a piece of advice or both. So this week, I'm asking Wait You What to a compulsive liar whose obscure and really complex web of lies led him to absolute rock bottom. And just a warning that this week's episode mentions suicide. Hi, my name is Sam. Just a heads up that this is a fake name because Sam wanted to stay anonymous for this podcast. I'm 25 and I am from and live in Sydney. Sam is maybe what some people would call conventionally attractive. He's tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. He's got a really welcoming smile and he can be pretty funny. Oh, what's your name? I'm Erica. That's <laughs> I true. don't have to be anonymous. <laughs> He can also be really vulnerable at times, which makes him feel quite likeable when you're talking to him. Oh, God. Suddenly having a microphone in front of me makes me think about every single word that I say. (laughs) But there's definitely more to Sam than meets the eye. He's here to talk to me today about lying. And in particular, about lying to someone you love. I first met Hannah nearly three years ago. She's going to be real annoyed if I get these dates wrong. They met at a bar. Classic story. Sam was working behind the bar at the time, pulling beers. It was one of those dingy but kind of hipster bars. You know the ones with lots of old guys around, but also heaps of craft beers on tap and a Buck Hunter game machine. Hannah was wearing a short skirt and long black high-heeled boots that night. She looked drop-dead gorgeous. She walked into the bar. He looked up. They locked eyes immediately. The first thing Sam noticed about her was uh her smile 100% it was it was all in a smile and her eyes even in the first few minutes of them being in the same room together there was tension between them before they even spoke and I should add a quick caveat here I was actually there that night because Hannah is one of my best friends so I also met Sam that night me and Hannah were just meant to have a quiet drink together but it means that I can tell you firsthand from the moment they spoke there were fireworks I took an order from her and I walked back behind the bar and one of my colleagues a good friend of mine said bro that girl just smiled at you like you were Jesus over the next few hours that we were at the bar Sam and Hannah both knew that it was on I made every excuse to go and be a nuisance around her table like picking up glasses asking if they wanted water or something and when Hannah was going to leave the pub she came up and asked for my number and I fumbled it by saying something along the lines of, I wasn't going to let you leave without asking for your number, but obviously she asked first. So from then on, they were pretty much inseparable. Sounds like a fairy tale love story, right? 
They were so in love. I remember Hannah saying to me a few weeks after meeting him, Erica, I think I'm going to marry him. They met each other's families about a month in. They were already talking about the family they'd have together. But Sam had a problem that he didn't tell anyone about. How much uh, lying do you remember doing growing up? From about, from like the start of high school, pretty consistently. What is your first lie that you remember, clearly? It was my mum. She's an incredibly good parent and would make us lunches every day. For whatever reason, I hadn't eaten the lovely lunch that she'd made and left it in my bag. And she'd said, did you eat the lunch I made? And I said, yep. (laughs) Man, this is such a poignant, poignant line of questioning because that lunch sat in my bag until it went mouldy. So you say it's poignant. Why do you think that's a poignant thing to ask? I feel like it draws some pretty intense visual parallels to uh, my more recent life decisions. For Sam, the mouldy sandwich is a metaphor, and it's a metaphor that would come to characterise his and Hannah's relationship over the next few years. The first time he told Hannah a lie was actually on the night that they met. I said that I'd been to LA when I definitely had not. When you told her that, what was the internal voice saying about what you'd just told her? The internal voice was like a couple seconds behind the speaking voice going, why, why are we doing this? Like, just, just checking in, why are we doing this? And the speaking voice is going... We've already said it, man. Like, we're already here. How often after that do you remember doing these kinds of little little lies? Easily a couple of times a week. I think the subject matter of the lies could be anything. But more importantly, the if the if the lie served a purpose, it was to in some way align me more with the person I wanted to be as opposed to the person I am. Did you ever think that she would find you out about these little lies? That's the almost sad thing is that no, I didn't because they were almost always so inconsequential. And so when I said like they served a purpose, like that purpose was very minor which means like the scope of the lie was small. We're talking here about things like telling Hannah he'd signed up for the gym when he hadn't. Um, So no, probably not, which at the same time begs the question why do them in the first place if they more or less serve no purpose. So we're talking about little lies right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think anyone could figure out that little lies can sometimes lead to bigger lies or can snowball into long-term lies. We're sort of here to talk about one specific lie that really upended your relationship with Hannah. Can you explain what that lie was? I 
lied about my enrollment and attendance at university. So for nearly a year and a half, almost their whole relationship, Sam told Hannah that he was studying full-time at university. He'd leave the house every other day and he'd, in quotation marks, go to uni. And as you're going to hear, Sam created an entire world for this lie. It got so complex. Its implications were really far-reaching. The day it started, Sam had actually planned to enrol in this university course, but he just missed the deadline. The deadline for my enrolment, Hannah and some friends asked me out to the pub and I thought, ah, like, it's just a deadline. I'll be able to enrol at some point. Like, I can work my way through the system. It's fine. And instead of completing my enrolment, I went to the pub. Instead of just telling Hannah that he had missed the enrolment, he said, yep, I enrolled. I got in. I'm starting. And after that, he just kind of chose to not think about it. As little as physically possible. Obviously, this isn't the first major lie I've told in my life. Thinking about the lie that I was currently in slash living was, it's like thinking about the concept of infinity. It's like at the time when you're doing it, such an abstract concept because you've, because I've compartmentalized the idea of what I'm doing into like such a, an obscure place that it's, it's not like it's something I'm doing. It's almost something that someone else is doing. So almost out of body? 100%. It feels completely normal because the whole time it's, it's like you said, out of body. It's not even there. And then, I don't know, you lapse in the ability that lets you do this and all of a sudden everything comes rushing back and... I know you hear people talk about panic attacks and like if like it suddenly you literally can't breathe until you let go and stop thinking about it again. I um from a lifetime of doing this to a lesser extent was by this stage out of body out of mind compartmentalization was a um like a like a natural skill. Sam was having panic attacks a couple of times a week and the lies started getting deeper and deeper. So how deep did it go? I said I was studying a construction course, which um, uh, lines up with my, with my current line of work at the time. I was um, trying to be a self-employed handyman and I knew a lot about construction because I was doing it. So my fake course was about the real construction that I was actually doing. Did Hannah know the names of the classes? Yes. Yes, Hannah did. So you had made up names of classes? Um, no, from when I was um, almost enrolling in the course, I had to select classes so I knew a lot about the course that I was trying to get into. Sam also told Hannah his rough timetable at university so they could coordinate schedules throughout the week. Hannah put these times in her diary. Um... Some of the specific things that are hard to live with even now. One of the lies was a was about a girl who I'd actually been to university with before when I actually went to uni, who I'd got along really well with. And uh, I just 
transplanted those experiences with her into the course that I was apparently in at the time. And the awful part about it was that I made it seem like I had this friend uni who was like potentially vaguely into me. Like, that's fine, that happens. But like when you make it up as a lie to your partner, who you apparently love, with the knowledge that like it would potentially make them a little bit jealous is such a deeply fucked up thing to do. Another component of this lie is that Sam told Hannah that he was regularly seeing a university psychologist. He'd come home and he'd tell Hannah about the sessions that he'd had with this psychologist. I told Hannah the things that I was talking about with this psychologist that I would have talked to a psychologist about at the time. Um, The uh, notion of shame and the notion of uh, inadequacy inherent in a lot of my feelings about myself at the time. I, of course, didn't go as far as to say, oh, it's because I'm doing this fucked up thing right now, lying to you about this whole thing. Strangely enough, I um, actually found it really helpful to, for myself at least, to talk about the things that I would talk about with a psychologist. One of the biggest lies that became a central issue was that he'd told Hannah he was getting financial study support from Centrelink. Hannah and Sam were living together by this point, and Hannah couldn't work out why he never had the money he said he was getting from Centrelink. This financial strain caused some tension in their relationship. As the months went on, the lie went on. He kept seeing his imaginary psychologist, he kept attending classes that weren't really happening, and he kept leaving the house to go to uni. What would you do when you actually left the house to go to uni? I, um... Well... Any number of mundane things. Why is it you think that that question affects you so much? Because the the lying's one thing, the act of deception another, but um, it was um, it was a day to day choice to keep doing this, to actively take part in doing this. It's not a heat of the moment response where you instinctively lie to a question before you've even thought about what your actual response is. That was a. Oh no, there were real choices. And something about that is so much harder to live with. Nobody really knew you. It's been like that for a long time. After about a year and a half of constructing and keeping up this lie, a single thread finally got pulled and it all began to unravel. Hannah was asking me about the government support that I was entitled to receive, which I, of course, was not receiving uh, because I was not entitled to get it. And I, of course, made up some lie about (laughs) classic Centrelink being slow. And at the end of the day, that only holds up for so long. And she really pushed 
rightfully so, on what's going on. I knew that this was um this was it. She was going to find out. I think I more or less I didn't even like right when I knew it was all over, I still I still couldn't do it. I said to her, I please please trust me. Just let me sort this out for a second. Second being a day or two. And promptly went off and spiralled like I've never spiralled before. Having asked Hannah for some time to work it out, he still hadn't explained to her what was really happening. He went to work that day. He was working on irrigation in the backyard of a house at the time. He had to move six tonnes of dirt from one end of the house to the other. And he says that during that day he was there physically, but he wasn't really there. I went to work and I dug a hole for eight hours and didn't think a single thing. Like, I I remember being physically numb that day, not just mentally numb, but physically numb, because there was no hiding anymore. There was no hiding it from her. There was no hiding it from myself. Like, the walls had already crashed down, and I was standing at the bottom. And I thought, well, obviously, now that people know who I am, or at least now that people are about to know who I am, the thing that makes the most sense right now is probably, not definitely, but probably to take my own life and just remove the problem from their lives. How much of it was me being enabled to face the music, basically, and looking for a way that I didn't have to do that? I'm not sure. I had driven down to the edge of the national park and I I knew what I was doing wasn't the answer. No matter how you slice it, it wasn't the answer. Even even the perspective of like she in that headspace, she might not be upset that I'm gone, but she'd be upset that her boyfriend is gone. Like, that loss is not worth it. I ended up uh, calling Lifeline. The act of of actually getting on the phone was the real step. Hearing someone else was just making the step easier, but I knew that I had literally no choice at that stage other than to go home and talk to Hannah. It takes a lot of guts to go home in that situation. It'd take a lot of guts to go home and talk to Hannah if I was actually coming clean, as opposed to being found out. But you still made the choice to walk through the door and face it. I feel like you're being generous, but yes. What was her reaction like when you did tell her everything? Compassionate. And she first and foremost was concerned for my health and my safety and my well-being physically and mentally. Once Hannah was sure that Sam was physically and mentally safe, the hurt kicked in and there were a lot of troubles in their relationship. Hannah moved out. She had to because she couldn't pay rent without his money. 
and she began processing the deception that had happened. Sam had lied to everyone in his life, not just Hannah, and it took a lot for her to process that. Sam started seeing a psychologist, a real one this time. He started doing some really hard work into where the lying might have come from. Something he found himself reflecting on a lot was the way his parents' relationship affected him and his brothers growing up. These memories of being kept awake in a bedroom that I shared with my brother, listening to him quietly crying to himself and him saying, I just feel so sad all the time. I was 12. Sam says he remembers feeling this need to comfort his brother and this... Exaggerated sense that I had to be a better person for others. The idea of who I should be has never aligned with the idea of who I am. And I know that can be the catalyst for some pretty terrible behaviours. How do you feel about your relationship with lying now? How do I know you're not lying to me right now? Admittedly, I can't cry on command. My relationship with lying is so much better for the work I have done with my psychologist. I spoke before about, um, like, lying as a reflex, like your internal monologue hears the lie. It doesn't think about the lie. Like, it comes out second nature. I started off a year ago with my internal voice a couple seconds behind the actual things I was saying. And through some devastatingly difficult work with my psychologist, I have been working on finding, I don't know, we call it finding the gap. Most of my lives are in response to a stressful situation and like slowing down that reflex, getting stressed, feeling that like internal anxiety rise. And the previously quickest way to get rid of it was to lie about the situation. And now it's sitting in that discomfort internally and thinking about it. And of course, as I assume everyone else knows, most of the time it doesn't matter. I, I don't need to lie about what size shoe I am or something ridiculous to a, I don't know, a store person. Yeah, it's been about finding that gap, feeling stressed, sitting with it and actively thinking about it. Let that internal voice catch up to your speaking voice and actively decide on what you're saying. If you think you're in a position where you might be going down the path of lying to loved ones or you've recognised a pattern, please go talk to someone. Everyone should see a psychologist. The most mentally sound and healthy person should currently be talking to a psychologist on a somewhat regular basis. And I really do believe that. And I understand not everyone has the time or money to shop around and find a relationship with a psychologist that suits you, or a counsellor, or a social worker, anyone who has been professionally trained to help in this way. I think failing that, write down your feelings. And it's work. It's, like, there's no getting around it. Journaling isn't fun, but on a good day, when you have the desire to be better, or the desire to make better choices, sit down and write down your feelings. 
and the rest will flow a week later, a month later, read that journal, read what you wrote, and it is eye-opening. I think there is so much growth available to you if you reflect and you listen to yourself. Sam says that something else that's helped him is remembering that... It's almost always okay. You are who you are. (laughs) You're perfectly fine. Which is what I've been trying to say to myself, I guess. I know. You are, at the very least, enough. What advice do you have for anyone who thinks that they might be being lied to? I believe being vulnerable, actively choosing to make yourself vulnerable with the people you love is such a powerful tool for so many things in life. I think being vulnerable would be a great option to say, hey, I I know this isn't great, but I feel really weird about this situation. I feel bad about this situation for these reasons. I think um, someone who was in the middle of the lie hearing you being vulnerable about the situation, as opposed to hearing the person being deceived saying, hey, you're lying about this, or hey, I think you're lying about this. Instinctively, the reflexes that got them into that position are automatically going to fire up. That's clearly a strong wall of defense. You're not going to jump over it. You've more or less got to ask them to take it down themselves. And I think expressing vulnerability is a great way to get through to someone who is intentionally making it very hard to get through to them. I asked Sam if he ever identified with the label pathological liar. No, I don't. Because I I don't see myself as someone who needed to lie. I see myself as someone who needed something else and used lies to get it, to present a worthy person, to present someone deserving of love. I uh, would throw the word sociopath around. Again, my understanding of the term speaks of someone who lacks empathy, or at least has the ability to choose not to feel empathy. And I look at what I've done and say to myself, how could you do the things you've done to the people you say you love? How is your relationship with Hannah now? How are you going? Hannah's Hannah's hurt. She possibly always will be. You need a tissue. There's a treat for editing. Erica. Some weird ASMR. <laughs> Get two million views. <laughs> Hannah, to her never-ending credit, is an incredibly compassionate and open person, open-minded, and can, with some conscious effort, separate a person from their bad decisions. Hannah's expressed that with... Um, some work on my end, some work on both our ends, that she sees a place where we could have a really happy, wonderful relationship. Sam is doing a lot better these days. 
He's still seeing his psychologist and life isn't without its challenges, but he's feeling a lot more fulfilled. I'm, um, I'm now currently enrolled in TAFE, doing a certificate in carpentry, which brings me so much joy. I have never felt more proud of a day's work than when I have been given a problem and found and executed a solution to that problem to a standard that I'm happy with, that I almost feel sad for people on those days, knowing that they went to work and hated it. When I feel like I would have done this for free, given the opportunity, it makes me feel that good. Like that's a no brainer, do that. Wait, you what is written, recorded, produced, by me, Erica Mallett. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Wait You What. You can leave a review if you liked it or share it with someone who you think might be interested. And make sure you subscribe because next episode, I'm asking Wait You What is someone who had to spend many years of her life coming to terms with her fetish, her sneezing fetish. So if you want to find out what it's like to get turned on by a sneeze on a bus, or what sneeze fetishists think about coronavirus, I'll catch you in two weeks for the next episode of Wait You What.